We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, that sucked, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't have fun. Uh, that sucked, yeah. But I don't know. What What was your experience watching the game? What would you think, honestly? Um, it was a really frustrating loss for the Suns, and you could tell that the players were really frustrated. I think the... Uh, I was trying to think about this actually. Uh, that Ty Lue might be the best coach that the Suns are gonna face, even if somehow they make it to the finals. I think Ty Lue's probably is still a better coach than both of those guys. Are definitely one of them. Nate McMillan maybe has a chance to be just as good, but uh, I think they made some really smart adjustments. And the Clippers are just this the type of team that hits haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. And uh, that becomes really frustrating. I mean, the main frustration, really, though, coming from Patrick Beverly, who is not only a great defender, but he sort of relishes being a villain. So that frustrated me. He was he was awesome tonight. We'll get into him in a second. Um, I, I guess I was asking because, obviously, I see Suns fans are upset. Suns fans are angry. Uh, there are reasons to feel both of those emotions. Personally... I was laughing for most of the second <laughs> half because I guess because this is this is like a, a sign of privilege, right? That the Suns are up in this 2-0 position where it doesn't feel like we have our backs against the wall. So it didn't feel necessarily dire to me. It sucks that they lost this game. But to be honest, going into this one, I had a hunch. I was like, if the Clippers are going to put up a fight, and I think they yeah. will, they need this game. Right. So I expected them to play with that extra level of intensity. And the Suns' offensive execution, to speak to the reason I was laughing, it was pathetic. <laughs> I mean, it was it was just so bad, Mike. It was so bad on all fronts. Uh, just no, no real show of intensity, no show of urgency from any of the guys. The ball movement was awful. The the obviously, I mean, you you just don't win games when Chris Paul. Let me pull up real quick. 
I've got the box score in a different tab. Uh, you don't win games when Devin Booker and Chris Paul shoot a combined 10 for 40 from the field. Yeah. Uh, Devin Booker matched his season low for the worst field goal percentage he had in any game in the regular season, 5 for 21. He had a game like that against uh, Memphis in January where he shot exactly that, 5 for 21. The Suns lost that game to Memphis by four points. He matched that today. Uh, and then when you have Chris Paul shooting 5 for 19 on top of it, you don't get the penetration from campaign. That was a huge loss, just a huge loss. Um, recipe for disaster here. But like I said, you know, I think there are easy, not even necessarily so much adjustments to make. There are some adjustments to make, but also just play better. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it was, yeah. it was an absurd, it was an absurd level right. of hitting, uh, sorry, missing shots you usually make. Exactly. That to a point was frustrating. In the first half was frustrating. As we got into the into the weeds and the twenty one to three run that that the Clippers made in the third quarter and like they were just continuing to miss those shots, I was like, "This is just this is a am I being punked? Like this this is really bad." Yeah, and I think I think that's a good point because I think I do think the Suns figured something out in that second. Or sorry, I should say the fourth quarter defensively a little bit something that they didn't have in the third quarter and. Um, the point about just missing shots they normally hit, that's, I think, an obvious point to make, particularly Chris Paul, who was just clearly a little bit out of sorts. Uh, five for 19 for Chris Paul. That's just not... That's not that's not Chris Paul. We've seen him play over and over and over again. And, and it's clear that when the assists are there for him, right, he still had 12 assists to two turnovers, and the shot wasn't. It's just clear that he's not quite... Uh, fully back yet I mean he was I don't know how sick he was I don't know if he was sick at all but he did miss a few games even without being sick you got to get your legs under you a little bit as as they say and those pull-up shots weren't there and it, not even at times were they just not being made there were times where they were not being shot I think there were uh, times where he could have shot those shots that he was turning them down, especially early in the game. Absolutely. When uh, yeah. when they weren't just trying to dig their way back. Um, they were just turning down shots that they normally make. And I, I actually think that's Chris Paul and Devin Booker, although Devin Booker ended up shooting a lot more, especially when Cameron Payne went out trying to give them a chance. But even him, I think he turned down some shots he normally shoots. Yeah, I think those guys got less and less confident as the game went on. Like once it got into the fourth quarter and you really needed to make a run, we were seeing them try to hunt their own shot and attack mismatches. Like we saw them try to hunt for a Zubats uh, switch and then attack, but there was still so much hesitation embedded into their games that we don't we don't usually see. Like Chris Paul was really frustrating me by the end of the game. There, it, it looked like Houston Chris Paul who would like work to get the mismatch and then kind of back up a yes. few steps and ISO and shoot the three. It was not Phoenix Suns Chris Paul, the Chris Paul that we're used to seeing this season. And the couple of times that that the whole target Zubats thing, Zubats by the way was a plus 28 in this game. He was he was awesome. But the couple times that it worked, they were trying to get to the rim. And Chris Paul I'm not. I don't blame him for this necessarily. We know Chris Paul is not a guy who gets to the rim, but like this is where you really felt the loss of campaign. Why? I, why I say campaign is a big loss for this team right now. It's not that campaign's actually a better point guard than Chris Paul, but it's just he was so good last game at getting into the teeth of the defense yeah, and yeah. drawing guys in and 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 then kicking out if he had to. But also tough finishes at the rim, and Chris Paul was just hunting his own shot in to disastrous levels. Devin Booker too. 
It was it was not fun. Yeah. It was not fun at all. Well, I think that <laughs> something that we've described over and over and over again, the right kind of defenses, the real frustrating defenses force you into stuff like this, and we hadn't yet seen that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the first game, Devin Booker got basically everything he wanted, including when Patrick Beverly was guarding him. And in the second game, Cameron Payne was the guy uh, that was able to do that. And in this game, they really ground the Suns down. And, and and that's that's exactly what happens sometimes in these games is, you know, once you get frustrated enough, it, it can really it can really bother you. And I think you bringing up them sort of hunting the mismatch. I don't mind them doing this. What they're essentially trying to do is get the biggest and slowest guy on Devin Booker or Chris Paul in, in, in Zubats and then attempt to attack him. And my frustrating part with that was you don't have to back up to do that. We've seen it time and time again. You can pull up from that mid-range without slowing the game down. And if he's out of position, which he was multiple times, you can you can score in that scenario. And it's closer to the basket. It makes it more likely to go in. Uh, Devin Booker, I think, capable of attacking off the dribble. So it makes a little bit more sense for him to back it up and, and then attack. You can get to the rim in that case. Chris Paul doesn't really shoot layups anymore. <laughs> Maybe one or two a game. Uh, right. Most of his offense comes from different areas of the court, and the closer he gets, the better in a lot of scenarios. So for him, finding ways to hit that shot, and I think he will. Like That's something that I'm not really worried about with him. I, it just, I'm not surprised that he had a little dust and he's got to shake it off a little bit, um, but I, I would be surprised if he wasn't more capable at least of at least finding that shot. Maybe not all of them are going to go in still, but but getting a better look wouldn't surprise me in the next game. Yeah, I mean, this was, again, like a 0th percentile shooting night for both Chris Paul yeah. and Devin Booker. How often are you going to get that on the same night? Right. Not often. But I think if you're looking at mm, not even necessarily an upside, but just, just how this happened, the elephant in the room, uh, Chris Paul got hit by Terrence Mann at one point and then seemed to have jammed a finger of some sort. And we saw him holding that hand period. It doesn't seem seem serious at all. But seemed to be holding that hand multiple times throughout the game was kind of just indicative of the tone of this game in general that the Clippers were allowed to play. Not that the officiating was the only reason this happened because I don't think officiating swings an entire 14-point game. I think the Suns just also shot themselves in the foot with a shitty game plan. But... Isn't it true, Mike? Like the Clippers were allowed to bring a certain level of intensity defensively yes. that the Suns were not allowed well, to bring, look, and that it, it it was it was a mismatch there too. I think <laughs> that I mean that's fair to say, but I also think the team that works harder tends to get like the refs on their side a little bit more, and they were working harder than the Suns early in this game. Uh, at least in the first quarter, the Suns kind of dominated that second quarter, but that third quarter run. They were faster than the Suns. They were running harder than the Suns. They were more focused defensively than the Suns. They, they deserve a ton of credit for this win. I'm not going to say it's entirely because Devin Booker was wearing no. a mask or Chris Paul was coming back from injury or Cameron Payne went down. By the way, the biggest thing that happened is Cameron Payne going down. I really hope that he's at least well enough to play soon uh, because the difference that he makes is massive and if he's not back that's a bigger issue than just these two guys having a bad game um but i'm not even going to blame it on that i think the clippers deserve a lot of credit for how they played i think aggressive smart and good rotations defensively and uh, and then just patrick beverly in a one-on-one scenario played great defense and it's up to you know it's on devin booker in a lot of ways to figure that out i know it's going to be hard 
with a, uh, an injury essentially that he has on his face and a mask that's distract clearly distracting him. You saw him messing with it uh, quite a bit, which is against Rip Hamilton's advice, which was to. Uh, yeah, I thought that was funny. But if it gets yep. knocked out of place when you're playing a playoff game, you're running into guys. It gets knocked out of place. You have to mess with it a little bit. So that's going to happen. I think giving up. 10 free throws to Zubac. I think this is really what hurt the Suns early. And this is Oh my god, they gave up 10 free throws to Zubac? This is this is what I this is what concerned me the most. Um outside of Cameron Payne because that's that's shit, the most concerning did. thing. But what what happened wow. was in the first quarter and in the third quarter they killed the Suns with something that the Suns have been really great at defending and that's just a basic basic pick and roll. And I think one of the reasons they did it is that the Suns were prepared for how they played in the previous few games, which is sometimes mid-range shots, more often hunting threes. And in this game, Paul George was getting downhill, Reggie Jackson was getting downhill, and they were trying to find Zubats in in most of those scenarios because they were forcing Aiton out onto them, which is usually closer to the rim. And then trying to find Zubats, and that resulted in him being fouled a lot. It also resulted in him getting a, a, a few dunks, more than he had in the previous game, and having his best game so far. And actually, this is how the Clippers played the Suns in the regular season. It wouldn't be surprising to me if they went back and watched some of that film, because Zubats, for all he is, which is, you know, not a star, he's actually played eight and well in the regular season throughout his career. And I think this was a game where the game plan was to try to target the right guys defensively. And I think Aiton was a little out of sorts, and it was on the guards too because the guards are the ones that really have to stop the passes. They had to get in the passing lanes to Zubats, and they struggled with that. And every time he caught it and the Suns were out of position, they just fouled, and that's what got Jay Crowder into foul trouble. That's what got Devin Booker into foul trouble. And even Mikael Bridges, who got some two dumb fouls early, the type of fouls that shouldn't be called. Uh, but yeah, that that was something I think that the Suns can be a lot more prepared to defend in the next game because we've seen them do it time and time again. And they were just out of sorts in this game. And I think even Aiden, yep. there were times where this was the first time I've seen players on the court frustrated with eight in the playoffs in a while and I could tell that it affected him a little bit and he was just Monty a little too. bit out of sorts after that like he it just affected him a little bit and I, I expected you to come back better did you see some of the exchanges he had with Monty that they were getting heated yeah at I each didn't other after, that. after no. some of those plays I, I, I really yeah. wish we would have time to watch these before recording I know people no, really I mean, appreciate these post-game episodes but I'd like to have more time to analyze this one what I think is funny about these, just to go meta for a second, is like <laughs> these are just gonna inherently be emotional. Like people, for I think pe- a lot of people listen the morning after and they've had time to cool down. Yeah, and I do my best to like strip the emotions away from it. Like I yeah, feel very, pr- honestly, very calm about this game because it's two one. If it was like three two Clippers, I wouldn't be sounding like this. <laughs> but uh, I think people forget that we record these literally like thirty seconds after the end buzzer. So right. if it gets emotional, sometimes that's. That's how it is. Um, look, I believe in giving respect to guys who play well. And so for the Clippers, first of all, here's the thing about Zubats. I consider myself to know a lot about the NBA. Did you know Zubats just turned 24 years old? Yeah, yeah. I remember when he I, was um, traded. And he, I think, I actually think he kind of looks young in the face. So I've looked it up a few times throughout okay. his career. All right. So <laughs> I've checked a few times. But yeah. All right. 
I see you, Mike Vigil. Um <laughs> Well, I, you know, he he was a second round pick back in the day. Yeah. I just kind of assumed he was like a second round pick because, like, I don't, right. you know me, I don't do a lot of draft researches. These guys, I wait till they come to the NBA and then I thoroughly evaluate them. Yeah. Based on what they are uh, when they're closer to being finished products. Um, I just assumed he was older. Like, I, I looked it up assuming he was like 26, 27, 24 years old. He's having a good playoff series. Say what you will about the, the reliance on drop coverage. But in that fourth quarter, he had to come out and switch, and he looked good. <laughs> yeah, he had a great game, uh, 16 rebounds as well, and and probably one of the least talked about uh, solid starting centers uh, in the league under the age of 25. And then the other guy is Pat Bev, was tremendous. He just was. Like, I really wish it wasn't true. I, I hate the guy's guts. He complains after every call, even the ones that go his way. He still can't stop jawing at the officials, and it drives me nuts. It's like... Well, why can't you call a T there? Yeah. Why can't you call a T there? But he did his job. And like it, as we think about how the Suns can come out and respond in game four, we can just frankly say that they got caught with their pants down in yeah. this one. Um, maybe a wake-up call was needed. Yeah. And they need to understand just how much of a dogfight this is going to be now. The Clippers were allowed to be way more physical and aggressive with them uh, in this one. But so now the Suns need to respond in turn, and and they need to bring that level of intensity. This is why, by the way, what Pat Bev is doing is what I want Mikhail Bridges to unlock. Like Mikhail is exactly. when I I, right. I talk about yeah. Mikhail is such a nice guy, right. man. He's got the measurables to do that. He's he can get in people's heads like Pat Bev got in Booker's head tonight. But uh, yeah, he needs to unlock that that edge to him. I want him to play more like Jay Crowder uh, from here on out in the series. Really get into someone like Paul George's head. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, Is Reggie Jackson their best player? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a weird thing to bring up here. Let me just uh, recap a little bit. I will bit. say this. He had as many field yeah. goals as Paul George in nine less shots. And he had 23 points. So, like, you, you can talk about, like, he clearly didn't score as much and he even didn't have any assist, as many assists. But he also didn't touch the ball as much. He didn't have the same level of usage rate. Where Paul George was 3 for 11 in three-point shots, Reggie Jackson was 3 for 8. And, you know, 9 for 17 versus 9 for 26. 
I, I just, it's really incredible to see how good he's been since Kawhi Leonard's gone down. And I keep waiting for the other shooter drop, you know, and him to just have a bad game. And he just hasn't in a long time. And the Suns need to find a way to bother him a little bit more, especially on those three pointers. You know, what's insane is, um, I mean, Reggie in the past, he's, he's been a shot hunter for himself. And you've been able to leverage that against him. And he hasn't always been the best shooter. But since he, he's come to L.A., this has been a season and a half now, he's kind of unlocked that side of him. Let me just read you out his playoff stats real quick. He's playing 30 minutes per game. He's scoring 17 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists on 50, 42, 93 shooting. Yeah. So, I mean, he's just become underrated. I, I wouldn't say he's their best player, Mike, for the record. <laughs> but he's become underratedly a guy who kind of has everything in his bag. And so it's it's not the easiest to check him um, necessarily. Yeah. Uh, I, I also think this is going to be like, when you look at both the Suns and the Clippers, again, this is a little off topic, but it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting case study of like, is Dennis Schroeder going to get like $20 million on the open market? And like I feel like Reggie Jackson and Campaign, who are also both free agents this year, are probably more in that ten to eleven million range. Like they're going to be around mid-level exception guys, and that just doesn't make any sense. Right. But I feel like that's what's I feel like that's what's going to happen. I feel like that's what L.A. did to Truder. Uh, and and I don't know. We don't have any guarantees that that's actually going to happen. But I just think that's really interesting if it does. I think GMs are kind of stupid uh, in general. And and here are obviously with Campaign. Hopefully he comes back soon. And Reggie for the Clippers. Here are two guys who are clearly killing it and stepping up when they need to. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say this about Reggie. Maybe he's not their best player, but I am more afraid when he shoots than anyone else on the Clippers. And that, that matters a lot, I think. And that's just because of his efficiency, just as you outlined. Uh, with Devin Booker, 40 minutes mask obviously bothering him. Ended with 15 points, 5 assists, 4 turnovers. What do you think he can do to play better? Because I, I feel kind of dumb in analyzing his game in this game where a lot of it just comes down to me thinking he just needs to play smarter. Like there are not, to me, I don't look at this and say the Suns need to run different plays for him or find different ways to get him the ball. In a lot of ways, I just think he needs to uh, find ways to utilize screens better and just play a little bit smarter. You know what I mean? One thing I want to give Book credit for is some of the, there was a residual effect, some of the screening that we saw, the off-ball screening, <clears throat> excuse me, that was really good in last game, right? Like how many times did we see Book back screen for other guys? Yeah. Not just on the game-winning play in game two, but he did it. Uh, I mean, they just do a lot of Spain pick and roll, so anytime they do that, Book's going to be involved. But I've talked about in the past for our YouTube channel how Book can be... He can weaponize screening in a freelance position as well. I noticed one example early in the game, and, and again, I'd have to go back and look for more. But one example early in the game, like I feel like he started off on the on the right foot, even if he was missing shots. There is this one play where, you know, he it's that play, he comes off uh, off a pin down and he's supposed to catch the ball in like the eighteen foot mid range position. This was when Campaign was on the floor. Campaign was a point guard at this point. Mm -hmm. He hadn't left the game yet. And Pat Bev comes off, uh, again, just with that defensive intensity, he's top-locking him. So he's trying to prevent Book from getting into that position. They know exactly what the set is. Like, the Suns have right. good sets, but at, at the end of the day, they run, like, four sets. They run, like, elbow, fist, double drag. It's, like, the same shit, you know. They, they know what the Suns' offense is by now. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so Pat Bev is top locking him. So what Book does is because he's like, okay, I can't get quite to the position I want. So I'm just going to kind of like saunter into like a freelance screen of um, campaigns, man. Yeah. Pat Bev kind of got caught. Like he he was able to catch two clippers at once on the screen and campaign was able to drive right to the rim. He had to hit like someone with a little hesitation move, go up and under, but he got a layup. And it was like Booker was finding ways to, again, leverage that off the ball in a way that I think he he, he started off on the right foot. I think, and then I think he, I think he just lost confidence throughout the game. I, I really think that's what it is. He's a volume shooter. Shooters keep shooting. You got to let him shoot out of his way out of it. Yeah. But throughout the game, I mean, after he missed like you know eight or nine in a row, we started to see him get into that pull up position in the mid range where usually it's automatic, and he just started hesitating. He started hesitating. He'd pass it back out to Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, whoever it was, but putting guys in positions where. Unless like they're they're really feeling like sharpshooters on that particular night, and obviously tonight they weren't, just not generating the same looks uh, he usually can. That can be a little tough, especially because you try. I think in a lot of cases they're trying to get Patrick Beverly to switch, and if it's Mikel, if it's Jay Crowder, they just don't really cause the kind of panic offensively that the Suns really kind of need them to in order to make sure that Booker is getting the best mismatch in those plays. That means hitting threes early in the game and also off movement, which is difficult. I think the best at that so far has been Cameron Johnson, even though technically he shot the same as Mikel Bridges and he shot the same as, or I'm sorry, Jay Crowder shot better than him in this game by the percentage. The difficulty of the shots is different. Uh, Cameron Payne will sprint down the baseline, turn around and catch it in the corner and shoot a three. And that's the kind of three that causes panic because when you can find ways to move into your shot like that, guys are more likely to switch and that's what gets other guys open. Whereas Jay Crowder and Mikel, they, they haven't really forced the Clippers to do that yet. Mikel, I think, found ways to be a little bit more effective offensively he in this did his, game. He did his thing. Yeah, he did his thing. The Suns need a little bit more. Not the, enough. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and it, to me, it's more about... It's more about Chris Paul and Devin Booker not hitting shots than it is sort of any blame on any role player at all. I think it's it's those guys. Not not to say it's blame. It's just they didn't, they didn't hit the shots. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean, and I just I kind of wish that those guys would just draw a little more attention. And this is once again credit to the Clippers for being really smart with how they react to different players doing different things on the court. Yeah, and and I I mean they just did a phenomenal job of because they, they they aren't trapping anymore, right? We we talked about the way that other teams defended Booker in the past. Yeah, they just shadow him with multiple guys yeah. really really well. And they don't even really switch. No. Yeah. In a sense, they are kind of daring him to do uh, pull up threes. Uh, in that they they they're not or, afraid yeah. to go under screens and because they're not switching right and and he and he yeah. just doesn't do it so there's no real threat of that I, it'd be interesting to see if he tried he tried a few in this game uh, every shot was off so <laughs> I'm not gonna really <laughs> judge it uh, based on that um, but on the other end defensively now that it's on my mind um, the way the Suns were defending Paul George was a little bit towards the end there was a little bit more like we talked about. In our first episode, first post-game episode, which is that they weren't switching on Paul George as easily as they were before. The Clippers are really smart in that they're not afraid to use a guard to screen, right? They, they'll do this for either Kawhi Leonard or they'll do it for Paul George. And that gives the guard that middle of 
the court space to be that creator. So if you hedge or if you trap, a hedge is basically a trap, but only for two seconds, right? It's two guys on a defender and then you sprint back. They found a way to give Terrence Mann, most likely, the ball in the center of the court and then they were swinging the ball around to shooters. I actually thought the Suns did really well recovering on those three-pointers in this scenario because that really didn't start until the fourth quarter. The Clippers only outscored the Suns by three points in the fourth quarter, which was 13 in the third quarter. That's a difference there. So I think this is something that they should probably try early on in game four. But did you notice that, and what did you think about that? I noticed it. I mean, I I really don't have any issues with the Suns' defensive strategy throughout the game here. I think that was fairly effective in the fourth quarter. But just to talk about the overall game, you give up 106 points in the modern NBA with what it is today. You did a good job. Yeah. Most teams' offensive ratings these days are in the 110 to 120 range. So 106 points, you did a good job. Uh, the, I mean, sorry to like swing it right back to offense, but like as we're talking about next no, game, you're right. it was a comically, it, it was a solid, not to mention the Clippers, 35% from deep. Remember how I was talking about how, how awesome they are at shooting the other day? Like 35% from deep. You are happy with a game where you get the Clippers only shooting 35% from three. So the Suns kind of squandered one there. Uh, They had just a comically bad offensive performance coupled with an average to slightly above average uh, defensive performance, I think. Here's a quote from Monty I just saw online here. He said, we can't let the refs mess with our mental stamina. I see Mm. the push off. Everybody in this room sees it. You got to raise above it. That, I think, is Monty's version of calling out a ref, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> He's that's calling Monty's out his team, calling- but, you know, it's kind of calling out the refs a little bit, too. No, it's 100% calling out the refs because he's right. We do all see it. I, I mean, we're not stupid. But it's, you know, it, the, on the one hand, we're not stupid. On the other hand, you have to be a little bit stupid to not not have anticipated this, right? That's what's annoying about it is you knew that if the Clippers lost tonight, Maybe 150 other times this has happened in NBA history, right? Where a team goes down 3-0. Like, mathematically speaking, we know what happens when you go down 3-0. So it's it's frustrating because, yes, the officiating sucked. I can't blame it all on the officiating because I, I, it's just the Suns should have matched it a little bit. Uh, the Suns started getting a little bit more physical on defense, especially around the rim. I don't think they were punished for it all that much. Mm-hmm. I think there were a couple touch fouls that sucked early on in the game. But I think mostly Suns fans were getting frustrated that uh, at these perceived no calls for us on offense. But as the game went on, there were some no calls on the other side too. So it's like, okay, that's just how the game is now. Like you got to you gotta find that zone and you got to really match that intensity and they didn't. They just didn't. Yep. Yep, I totally agree. Um, I think it's going to be interesting that Monty has a chance to do some coaching now. It's It's been a while since the Suns have had to make adjustments. We've talked about it before. The Suns knew how to play traps. They knew how to play uh, drops, and this is something different. They 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 have better personnel than the Nuggets had, and and even the Lakers had, especially defensively. I think in this case, so is, this is his chance. We got to go into Game Four, and the Suns really have a chance to to win in five if they could win in Game Four. Obviously, two games in a row, they did it before, but it's still difficult. Uh, but you'd prefer, much prefer, coming back home three one then 2-2. 2-2 becomes anyone's game at that point, and Game 5 is the entire series, essentially. Um, do you have any other thoughts before we end this one? 
Well, I'll end this one on a little bit of a lighter note. If the Suns were to not play so well in Game 4, theoretically, mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't be because of that L.A. Clippers crowd. That is for sure. <laughs> I mean, that crowd sucked. <laughs> totally sucked. Uh, I follow, we both follow, I think, probably Molly Morrison. She is with Blue Wire. She is wonderful. But she was at the Clippers game tonight. She's a Grizzlies fan, but I think she's living in L.A. these days. Um, but I just retweeted a tweet from her that said, Not a single Clippers fan cheering as my sister and I walk out of the arena. Her and I even tried to start some cheers, and these people are dead silent LMAO. <laughs> I thought I just thought it was funny. It's like from the TV perspective, yeah. I also was I was yeah. turning towards my roommate who I watched the games with, and I was like, yeah, like this doesn't feel like a playoff atmosphere, does it? It was funny yeah. to get some confirmation from someone at the game that yeah, these these dudes are silent. Yeah, <laughs> just no no uh, no energy there. So the, the Suns are technically on the road. Get a day of rest. Do your do your practice. Yeah. Come back. The crowd's not going to hold you back in Game Four, so you got to go out and win it. Yeah, give uh, Cameron Payne some sort of secret steroids to fix his ankle because that would be a big difference maker in Game Four. It's tough for the Suns if you get nine points from Crowder, thirteen from Bridges, eighteen from Aiton, twelve points from Cameron Johnson. You'd think the Suns would win based on that, but no, only thirty from Paul and Booker combined, and that's really the whole game. So it's up for it's up to those two guys to elevate and raise their game in the next one in order for the Suns to have a chance to win. I, Time to elevate and detonate. Exactly, one I, might say. I will try, and hopefully, Sam, if you get a chance to to watch some of this game again, at least so that we have a chance to do a little bit more analysis in our spaces before Game 4. But if not, we will be back after Game 4 doing another post-game episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You are really asking me to watch that garbage again. <laughs> <laughs>